Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. It says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it, is also, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved, bro- our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for uh, New City Church. Would you speak uh, through Ryan, Lord? Uh, we love you, and we pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Man, look at this denim shirt. Is this, this is denim shirt day? Denim shirt day. We planned it out. Just kidding. We did not. Hey, welcome. Well, I'm like a squirrel this morning. Uh, welcome. Uh, Happy New Year to you. It's great to have you here. Uh, we're, we're excited about the new year and, uh, and expectant to what God uh, would will do through this year, and in fact, we're so excited that we just decided to call this series new. <laughs> we're excited about it. We're going through the book of Colossians starting today, and it's going to be a great uh, journey uh, for us. As I think about that word new, it's a word that gives us hope, isn't it? I mean, when you think about it, the word new to us in our language means that we anticipate something happening that has not happened before, or we anticipate uh, something that did not exist in our lives before to exist now. New, it creates this, this idea of expectancy. We like new stuff, too. I mean, Amazon, take all of my money. Anybody else? We just like new stuff. We, we like the experience of newness. That's when I might go to your house and notice that you've got a new paint job and think, man, I need a new paint job, too. We, we like newness because we experience brokenness. Uh, and and I, I'm reminded about uh, an occasion where my uh, seven-year-old son, when he was two, was five years ago, uh, he, he had gotten some Christmas money, and we had t- taken him to Kohl's uh, to get uh, a toy. And, and while we were there, he found this toy helicopter that he really liked. And it, was pre- it was pretty cool, if I'm honest. But he was so excited about this new toy that he wouldn't let anyone help him with it. I mean, he's two. The helicopter is like, it, let me put it this way. Him carrying this toy around would be the equivalent of me carrying around a 70-inch television. I mean, it was just like he was just carrying it around. And, and so I got this picture of him here where he's, he, he, just, he gets it at Kohl's and he's just walking everywhere with it. I mean, off the shelf, you know, through the checkout line to the car. He didn't want anyone to help him with it. But then, you know, time wears on and it goes on and, and, and you, you're not as enamored with it the older that it gets. We like new things. But, but, but here's the thing, this, this desire that's buried deep within us for new things, uh, is, it, is it a bad thing? I think a lot of times I think about it as it's this bad thing, I've got to suppress this idea to want new, new things, but I think something buried down deep inside of us is this, this really holy desire to be made whole, to be made restored, and to be made right, is it, kind of what's at the bottom of this idea of us wanting to experience newness. I mean, I want to be made new, yet I experience uh, this, I have this experience where I keep finding myself in the same old ruts. This is why 
the gym, if you went this last week, was the busiest you've ever seen it. Am I right? You're like, man, I had to park in the back. I had to wait on the treadmill. It's because we, we keep finding ourselves in these same old ruts over and over and over again. But, but what if we could really be made new? I'm not talking about just the experience, the, the, the experience of newness, but really be made new. I mean, what if God's Word really is true and we can really be new creations in such a broken world? We, we wouldn't have to treat our Jesus fix on Sundays like a new toy helicopter, but this, this newness that we have that God gives us would permeate all of our lives. What if all of our urges and desires and impulse habits were actually pointing to something holy and pure. What if, we could, what if we could tap into that? The big idea of where we're going today in Colossians 1 is this. The good news is the only news that can make us new. Would you say that with me? The good news is the only news that can make us new. That's what, that's what Paul says in Colossians. He, he talks about what it looks like to be made new. So I just want to quickly show you my cards on where I'm going today. Three points I want to make out of Colossians 1, 1 through 8. First one is this new authority. Second one is this new assurance. The third one is this new growth. Let me pray for us and we're going to dive in. Lord Jesus, uh, I just thank you for your word and how it has power to pierce our hearts and our souls. There's, there's something about your word, not just these physical Bibles that we have, but the fact that these words are your words that are intended for our hearts. Something happens when we hear them. We hear from God. So Lord, would you open our hearts to help us hear from your word today? It's in Jesus' name, pray. Amen. Let's dig into Colossians 1, 1 through 2. New authority. Let me remind you what it says here real quick. Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. So if you're anything like me and, 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 and you hear parts like this of the Bible, you, you might go something like this, yada, 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 let me get to the meat, right? Anybody else like that? I, I do that a lot. I, I'm like, yeah, let's, 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 let's cut through that. I mean, Paul, did you really have to write that every time you wrote a letter? I mean, but there's something embedded in these two verses here that sets the tone and sets the posture for the hearers the rest of the way through the letter that he's writing here. I mean, <clears throat> I, I don't want us to miss what's being declared here because if we really believe that what's written uh, in this letter uh, in these two verses, if, if we really believe that, we, we will go from this idea of new year, new you, Dr. Phil, Oprah kind of stuff to an actual changed identity, a change, a new DNA. That's what God wants to do in us. He doesn't want to just bolt on a new habit to your life. He wants to make you new from the inside out, a new way of thinking, a new way of living by the power of his grace. So as we get into this, let me give you a little context of what's going on in, in this letter, because just like any story, there's context is king, right? It's really important. So Colossae was the city. It was in Asia Minor, uh, and it was about 100 miles east of the city. Uh, that was, there was a port city called Ephesus in Asia Minor as well, and that in Asia Minor, uh, Paul, Paul spent a lot of time in Ephesus, a couple of years there, but 
But we actually don't have any evidence that the Apostle Paul, the guy that, that walked with Jesus, that saw Jesus, that was commissioned by Jesus, we don't have any evidence that he was actually ever in Colossae. So he plants this church without ever being there. Think about that. And so, so these guys are they're, they're, they're troubled in their spirit. They're troubled in their heart uh, because there's just some uncertainty because Paul's not with them. And so this church was probably planted by these, these four folks that came from Ephesus. They probably traveled over uh, to Ephesus a, a year or so before, and they heard Paul preach the gospel there. Their hearts were changed. They were made alive. They were converted. They were following Jesus. And what they did was they took that good news that they had in their hearts back home to Colossae, and they planted a church. These people's names that we read in here that are, that are real people who planted real churches, people like Epaphras, Aristarchus, Archippus, Antichicus, and, and they were probably there in Ephesus, like it describes in Acts 16, and they heard the good news preached, and they took it home with them. Isn't that a vision for us? Take the good news home with you. And so Paul had never seen this church face to face, but he'd heard some people had come into the church with a theology or an, ideas about God uh, that, that were something like this. Hey, I know Epaphras has, has met Paul, and he spent some time with him, and he's bringing this, this new gospel to you. I know that he's brought that to you, but I don't think he's really got the full picture of what the gospel is. It just seems too simple. I mean, really, what you, if you were really following God and you had really met God, you would have this secret knowledge. Something would happen to you. You would be able to do more miraculous things. This is where Gnosticism was birthed from, one of the heresies of the early church. And you would, you would really have these things a part of your life. You, you guys just have the, the, the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's not enough. There's got to be more, they told him. And, and Epaphras is kind of shaking in his boots here because he doesn't have his sidekick Paul with him. And so he probably sends word back to Paul who's in Rome at the time and, and is like, Paul, I need help. Can you help us? Because the people that I'm charged with pastoring here in Colossae are doubting the word and I'm not so sure of it myself. You ever been in a place like that before where you, you're a little uncertain about what you what you've heard and what you believe, and it's not really, it's like in your head but not in your heart. This is kind of what was going on. But, but Paul comes in, kind of guns ablazing in this letter that he writes, who would have been delivered um, by the hand of Tychicus and would have been read to the church. So imagine you get this letter from this guy that's an apostle that's been with Jesus face to face on the road to Damascus, and, and you hear this letter that's straight from the mouth of God and he wants to encourage them immediately in his writing. Paul is saying this. When, when he talks about this authority of his apostleship, what he's saying is, is this. Hey, look, Jesus has sent me to you. Not just in a general way like Jesus loves you. Oh, that's great and good kind of thing. But in a very specific way. God has sent me specifically to you. Like you, the church in Colossae, which probably was only one or two churches at this point in the city, with this very specific message that's tailor-made for your life. You'd listen up a little bit more, wouldn't you? It's the same reason that, that when you get a handwritten letter in the mail, you open it up. You don't just throw it in the can, right? That's what this was like. It'd be like opening a handwritten letter that was written just for you, just for your heart. And that's, by the way, that's what the whole Bible is for Christians. It's a, it's a tailored letter written to you straight from God. And, 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 he's, and, and because this isn't from Paul, this, this isn't, 
you know, just self-helpism. Paul is under the authority of Jesus. This, This letter is from Jesus through Paul. You know, the one that was in the beginning that, that fashioned the heavens and the earth, uh, that, 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 that fashioned the first humans in the garden, it's from him. Written to a church that's, that's struggling. And, and so I just want to press in just for a moment here and talk a little bit about authority because um, this is a word that we generally do not like and rarely trust. Am I right? But we all desperately need it. Here's the catch. We all live by an authority. Someone, somewhere, is always influencing and directing the decisions that we make in life, whether we are aware of it or not. We live under an authority. We, we wear the clothes that we have on because something or someone has convinced us that those are the clothes that we should wear today. Why did you buy that house or that car? Someone has influenced you. Why do you speak why do we speak the way that we speak to our, to our peers and coworkers, to our spouse or to our parents? And this can be either respectfully or disrespectfully. Someone that has had an authoritative voice in our lives has convinced us that that's the best way to do it. We, church, live under authority. Um, you know, it's, it's funny because it's kind of like this. My, there's a, so, okay, here's the deal. My, my, when I was like seven or eight, my mom and dad had just went through a divorce. And, uh, and my mom was just, she was trying to show me a little extra love. And I really trusted her voice in my life as any young boy would. And so, you know, we were in the car one day. She's listening to country music, and I'm kind of singing along. And I don't listen to country much anymore, no offense. But, um, uh, you know, at that time, you know, we did. And so she, she looked over me one day, and she said, honey, you sound just like Garth Brooks. And so, uh <clears throat> Yeah, so so we we were uh, so I took that to heart. I took what she said to heart, and it influenced my life. And so for the next year, I kid you not, like any time that I get the chance, I'm like I'm like flipping the CD player to, to Garth Brooks, and I'm like singing because I want to give my friends the treat of like hearing Garth live, right? I mean, it's so it's so I'm singing, and then there was this one honest soul that said, "Bro, you're scaring the kids. You got to stop," you know, and so. I've never sang again since, but, uh, but no, no, mom had authority in my life, and, and, and I took her word and made a fool of myself for about a year, and uh, all this to say, authority, here's the deal, is not a matter of if we live under authority, but it's a matter of whose authority we live under. That's really what the question is, and, and, uh, uh, and this goes both in a, in, a, in a positive direction, because the authority that you live under speaks into and influences how you live your life. How you live your life. And here's the deal. Here's here's why this matters in the first two verses of of Colossians. Because we we might be tempted to think, hey, the the buck stops with me. If I like what Jesus says, I'm going to embrace it. If I don't, then then I'll just, I'll take a little Jesus when I need him, and then I'll just get on with the rest of my life. Well, Paul says, hey, that's not the way you live as Christians. Either you're all in or you're all out. That's how it works. And so, And so when we think about this, what Paul is saying is substantiating the words that he's revealing to them about who God is to them specifically. So statements that that we might make um, that that reveal the authority that we live under uh, impact the way that we live. Statements like, maybe you said things like this, I will never forgive that person for what they've done. Or, or maybe, I cannot stop doing blank, enter whatever habit it is. 
Or I'm going to do this regardless of what my parents say. Or my spouse isn't meeting my needs, so I'm, I'm out of here. Or I'm not going to give any money away. That's my money. I worked hard for it. Or if I don't look like blank, then I'll never be satisfied with myself. All of these statements are they're somewhat familiar to us. I, I mean, they're familiar to me. Maybe they're familiar to you uh, as well. And, and all of these statements press us to ask this question. Whose authority am I under when I make a statement like that? Who am I to tell the Lord of the universe that I can't change whatever it is in my life? That that, that, that thing can't change. It's like a vow that you're making against yourself where you're, you're saying, I'm not going to let Jesus into that part of my life. Like he can have the Sunday morning deal. You know, he can even have the small group deal. And he can have a little bit of a bank account, but he can't have that. And when we, when we make those statements, we're not letting God's rule and reign be the rule and reign of our hearts. We're not living under the authority of God. And what our lives ultimately amount to are pretty flimsy and inconsistent lives. So here's my question about this idea of authority. Are you willing to get out of the hamster wheel and let Jesus be your final authority? Are you willing to stop playing the game where you pick and choose who God is and, and what you like about him, what you don't like about him. Are you, are you willing to allow him to define and direct your life as guided in and through his word? Could this be the year that you, that you, that you let go of your, the control that you think you have a little bit more and embrace the Lord Jesus a little more deeply than you ever have? We live under the authority of who he is and his word to us. The second thing is this, just the new assurance that Paul talks about. He jumps straight out the gate and he says, listen, I want to remind you that this authority is from Jesus. It's not from me. But also, I want to remind you of who you are, church. And so he says this, verses 3 through 5, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Now, this is a jam-packed couple verses here, and he cuts straight to the chase because he wants to comfort this confused little church. He wants these, these Christians that are pretty new in their faith to be secure in what Jesus has done for them. Now, let me just say this. There, there is nothing in our lives that will confuse and potentially derail the, our, our walk with Christ more than insecurity. You know what I mean? insecurity is this place where you say, I'm not really enough, just me and Jesus. And so I've got to add that car, that house, that relationship, uh, X number of scenarios in my life to really be secure with who God has made me to be. But there's nothing that will derail the mission of God through your life and in your life more than that. So Paul knows this. And so that's why straight out of the gate, he reminds them of who they are in church. Listen, the gospel, as Tim Keller says, is not the ABCs of the Christian walk, the Christian life. It's the A to Z. It's the whole thing. The simple gospel is all there is. It is the, is the very thing that empowers everything about our lives for the kind of life that we need to have and we desire to have. And we've got to keep coming back to it. And so Paul brings them back to that simple truth about the work of Jesus in their life. You know, if you're not sure that you're going to heaven, if you're not sure that God loves you, if you're not sure that Jesus really rose from the dead, if you're not sure about the person and work of Jesus and the implications in your life, will Jesus really forgive me of those sins? 
That's the insecurity that we struggle with, isn't it? And that's what derails us when we're not sure. And the thing that Jesus did is he, he not only lived a perfect, sinless life, but he died a sinner's death. Like he took our place in that. But then to seal the deal, church, he rose from the dead. And so in rising from the dead, that is our assurance. It's our assurance that nothing in this life can hold us captive. We're a prisoner to nothing anymore. There's no sin, as Paul writes in Romans 8. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Nothing. Height, depth, nothing. Nothing is what he says. So Jesus really helps us when he's recorded saying this to his disciples in the Gospel of John. He says this to them because he knows that we're going to struggle. He knows that we're going to be insecure. He knows that we're not going to always have the confidence that we should have in, in light of what he's done. He says this to them. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. But then you got to do a bunch of good works and you got to live a perfect life after you become a Christian and then you can have assurance. Is that what it says? No. It says whoever hears my word, you're hearing the word right now. Whoever hears it and believes that God sent Jesus to be that word, We'll have eternal life is what the scriptures say. But so many times we hear the word, we, we might not believe it fully, but we believe it. There's faith there, yet we doubt. God doesn't love me. God's not with me. He's not with me in the middle of this terrible circumstance. I can't trust it. He can't be trusted. I've got to go search for other things to satisfy my life and to fulfill me. No. It is through hearing and believing that we have eternal life. That's the bottom line. That's, that's it. We can't, we can't get any more clear and any more distilled than that. It's, it's really that simple, simple enough for children to understand, to hear about Jesus and to believe in Jesus. Now, we can grow deeper into this truth, but we never grow beyond this truth. You see what I'm saying? Like, like we don't get beyond this. There's nothing beyond this. It's just fulfilled in our life, and we're with Jesus forever and eternity. So we press ourselves deeper to the layers of unbelief that exist in our heart. And then when, when, when God presses these truths deeper into our lives, we see our lives change. But the funny thing is, we spend our whole lives trying to change ourselves to no avail. But we start seeing God change us through his spirit and through prayer. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it amazing how he does that? So, so here's, my, here's, my, here's my question about this. You know, where are you with this today? I mean, the scriptures say we're not under God's judgment if we believe in Jesus anymore. So, so we stand at the pearly gates at the end of time, and God looks at us and he sees Jesus. We're perfect. That's what it means to walk by faith. He takes all our sin, we get all of his righteousness like we, like we sang about this morning. We can be secure even though we're not finished yet, church. And we, we kind of live with this mantra. Praise God, I'm not what I was, but I'm still not what I want to be, right? That's all of our stories. We're not what we want to be, but, but praise God, we're not what we were. And this is the life of grace that God presses us into. And Paul says, hey, I don't want you to doubt. I don't want you to doubt yourselves. I don't want you to doubt Jesus because these false teachers have come in and they've caused you to, to doubt your own identity in Jesus, and so, and so what, he, what he does is he reveals three evidences in their lives 
for them to hang uh, hooks to hang their hat on about their assurance in Jesus. And you see these, these are like signature evidences by the Apostle Paul. You see them in uh, 1 Corinthians 13, that, that verse that we always like to, to, to read at weddings and special occasions like that about faith, hope, and love. And they are all over the Bible. They always almost come together as well. So Paul says this. He says uh, the, the, the marks of a Christian are our faith in our Lord Jesus, love for all the saints, love for others, and hope that's secure in heaven. So let's just press in just for a second on those. These three marks of a Christian. So, so if you're in here today and you're, you're saying, am I a Christian or am I not a Christian? If that's your question that you're asking, these are the three questions that you could ask yourself for evidence. And these are the three evidences that we expect God to grow us in if you are following Jesus. And the first one, faith in Jesus. Paul's really all about Jesus, have you seen? And so are we. So, so what have you done with the name of Jesus? That's the bottom line. Now, here's the thing. Your answer to that question, like your security in Jesus is only going to be as good as your honesty with God is going to be. If you say, yeah, I've just kind of done a few things with Jesus over, over the years. I mean, we've, you know, my youth group kids used to wear this shirt that, called, that said, Jesus is my homeboy. And I was like, oh, my goodness, guys. Like, it's a, it's a cute shirt, but Jesus is not your homeboy. Like, he's sovereign Lord. Do you know that? Like, yeah, he's a friend of sinners, but he's the sovereign Lord. of the. So what have, we, what have we done with the name of Jesus? What have you done with it? Is he your Lord or has is, is he not been? If he's not been your Lord, you now have the opportunity to repent of your sin and say, Jesus, I've, I've made a mockery of your name my whole life. That's what, if I'm honest, that's what I've done. I've not considered you. I've not, I've not honored you. I've not lived in light of your power. That, that's my story. But that's not my story anymore. You mean something to me now. And, uh, and I just feel my life changing because of your love for me. If that's where you are today, place your faith in Jesus. You don't have to kick the tires anymore. You can come into the family. Go in through the front door. Second mark is this, uh, just a love for others. And basically, these other two marks, love for others and hope in eternity, kind of hinge on the faith in Jesus part. So the, the second evidence has, you know, as this newfound faith in Jesus changes us to love unconditionally. Now, loving unconditionally is a love that does not expect in return. Now, that, that's, that's a very unfamiliar love to us. Even in our best moments, my best moments, I'm still, if I'm, if I'm really honest, I expect something in return. But, but this love that, that he says you have for all, all the saints, all the people that are different than you, I've just, he says, I've heard about that in Colossae. I mean, that's just, that's just kind of who people say you guys are. You just love people. You don't care where they came from. You don't care if they're from Corinth or Jerusalem. You just love them. And, 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 and he says this is an evidence that you've embraced your new identity, your new name in Jesus, that you have love for all the saints. And, and then the third one, he says this, this hope that's stored up for you in heaven. And, and the question I ask about myself in this is, how do I tend to think about the future? How do I think about the future? Now, a lot of times... We, we kind of, we got this bucket list thinking, like that our best life is now. You know what I mean? And, and I think God really wants us to enjoy our life on this earth. But church, this will never be our best life. And so it, let me just say this. If 2019 is not even shaping up to look like a good year for you, um, you, can, you can put your, 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 your faith in Jesus, your love for all the saints, and understand that your hope is not on this earth. 
You can enjoy Jesus now. You can enjoy the things that he entrusts you with, that he gives you with, the family, the friends, the experiences that he gives you, but your hope will never be this side of eternity. Your hope is actually stored lock and key in a safe in eternity. It's Jesus himself. And he will come, and your hope will be, everything in you will be fulfilled as, as you see Jesus. Your hope is stored in heaven. So how do you think about the future? And I want to challenge you to think through these few statements this week. And, and, and let them be somewhat of a diagnostic for your growth in the faith or maybe your initial embrace of the faith. Because you, you can't really love if you don't know the God of love. You can't love unconditionally. And you can't have hope that's stored in eternity without knowing the God that's securing it in eternity. So faith is really the starting point. And it's, 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 faith is, 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 is believing without seeing. It's real, I was meeting with a guy this week, and he told me, this is crazy. Okay, so I was getting my windows tinted on my truck, and I had my iPad with me, and I was ready to work. Uh, I had, had my noise-canceling headphones, the ones that I can't even hear my kids screaming with, you know. They're great. And I was ready to work, and this guy comes in. And uh, he says, so what do you do? And I was like, okay, okay, bro. This is going to go one of two ways. Either you're going to want to talk to me or you're going to completely shut down and disappear. I was like, I'm a pastor. And at that moment, he starts talking to me. And we get into this hour-long conversation about Jesus. And, 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 and he, says, um, he says, man, if, if Jesus really rose from the dead for me, I would follow him. And I said, so let's explore it. You want to explore? You teach me about Zen. Uh, I'll teach you about Jesus, and we'll, we'll just see what shakes out, you know? Maybe, you'll, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll turn uh, into new age thinking. I don't think so, but I'm willing to explore with you. Uh, but maybe you'll embrace Jesus. I don't know. And, and he said, you know, uh, Ryan, I'm, I'm, I'm not ready for that yet, but I'll let you know when I am. You, you just never know. But it all starts with faith. The last thing that, that, that Paul says in these these verses, he talks about this idea of a new, new growth. Um, and I'll read Colossians 1, 5 through 8 to remind us real quick. He, he says this, Of this you've heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. He, he's given them a security, the evidences of faith, hope, and love. And, and he says, you've heard about this in the word of the truth, the gospel. You've, you've heard this news before. This is not new news to you. He says it's come to you. It came through Epaphras through uh, Archippus, Aristarchus, Tychicus. It came to you through these guys. And listen, it's bearing fruit in the whole world. What you have heard is turning the world upside down, he says. It's turning the, so it's not, it's not just this simple truth, this, this elementary, no, this thing is turning the world upside down that people are seeing that they can be forgiven. That God doesn't hold their sin against them anymore. You can be forgiven. It's turning the world upside down. And not only that, I also see it turning your world upside down. That's what he says. And, and, and uh, he says, just as you heard it and understand the, understood the grace of God in truth, and you learned it from Epaphras, who I sent to you. He's a faithful minister on your behalf, and, and he's made known your love in the Spirit. This, 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 this route between Ephesus and Colossae with Epaphras, what you've heard coming out of Ephesus is good news. You can trust it. Good news is the only news that will make us new. It's the only news. So this, this authoritative word of truth is the only foundation for you to change at all. You can kind of 
dress up the flesh, as we call it in Kentucky, put lipstick on a pig. You can do that all day long. But it doesn't change who you are on the inside. It doesn't. Jesus is the only one that does that. Now, if, if we base our lives on anything else than Jesus, we are ultimately basing our lives on a lie. Think about that. Think about that. If he rose from the dead and he really is God, you got to do something with it. As C.S. Lewis said, you either got to say, you know, he's just a liar. That's just who he is. Or he's crazy. He's a lunatic. Or he's Lord. He's real. You got to do something with him. Over the, the Christmas holiday, we were visiting some friends from Indianapolis, and, and I always ask my friend Brian what books he's reading because he just devours books, and he always has like really interesting books. And he said, you know, he's like, I kind of went through this interesting stint this last year where I read a series of books about lying. And I'm like, that's interesting. And, and I kind of chuckled inside because he's a lawyer. Um, and so, you know, it was, it was kind of funny that he was reading books about lying because that's kind of what a lot of people say about lawyers, but he's a man full of integrity. So it's just interesting. He, was, he wanted to get down to the root of why people lie. And he, he said something so profound to me. I don't remember the whole conversation, but I do remember this. He, he said the biggest thing that, that he had kind of learned is that, is that people in general are not honest at all. He said, the, the, there's, but there is one place where everyone's honest. And you're kind of like leaning in now, right? What's the one place everyone's honest? The, the Google. <laughs> the Google search engine, the search bar. That's where everybody's honest because nobody thinks that anyone's going to see what they wrote in there. And you get these anonymous answers, right? That's the one place that everyone is honest about who they are and what they want. So, so I thought about it, and it's, and it's really true. I mean, it's, it's, it's the place that you'll Google things like, you know, how old is Christina Aguilera? Or, you know, how do I change a tire? Or, uh, you know, what's the meaning of life? I mean, we, we, we text these questions that we put these questions into the search bar that we would never, we wouldn't really ask, you know, our neighbor that, but it's really what's on our mind. And so it's an indicator. It's a revelation of what's going on in our hearts. Um, so, so whether it reveals a good indication of, of what's going on in our hearts or one that's false, it's showing us what is true to us. It does. And so, uh, you know, Whatever is authoritatively true in our hearts, whatever we embrace, whatever we're, our hearts are searching for, uh, will ultimately be the soil that uh, our lives produce fruit from. So whatever we're enamored with, whatever we're searching for, is what our lives will ultimately produce. This is the simple logic of farming, right? We can learn a lot about the kingdom of God and life from farmers, right? And you get what you plant. And so for us to sink as a church, to sink our roots into Jesus, will bear the fruit of what Jesus intends for us to, to bear. If we sink our roots into materialism, we will bear the fruit of materialism. The, 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 the hopeless end of materialism is nothing's ever enough. Or, or, or whatever it would be to you. Maybe it's a, a pursuit of, 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 of beauty and looking a certain way or having a certain physique, what, whatever it is to you, you will, you will you'll come to that end and you'll see that it's still not enough. This is what he's saying is that the gospel bears fruit. So whatever gospel is to us, whatever good news is to us, that's what our lives will produce. But he says the real gospel, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, you sink yourself into that, your life will, will, will produce the kingdom of God. 
and it will last for eternity. So what, what he's saying through this in Colossians 1.6 is that it's constantly bearing fruit and growing. You're always changing because God lives uh, in you. Now, this, this idea of gospel growth is interesting because what he's saying is the gospel is setting people free all over the world from the, the, the prison of self-absorption that we find ourselves in, especially in the West today. It's setting people free. But, but sometimes gospel growth is a little more hidden than others. He's encouraging them to, to, to take a, an account of their life and where the gospel is growing in their lives. Now, the gospel is sometimes hidden. I mean, it's something like this. It's, it's when you, you repent a little quicker than you did this time last year. The, the grudge that you were holding is a little shorter than it was a couple years ago. It's when you're a little more zealous for the, for the kingdom than you were last week. It's, it's when you ask for forgiveness the same day instead of just the same week. It's when you go out of your way to stay in community with people. It's when you speak and think the best about people that you share life with. It's, it's when you refuse to gossip at the water cooler like everyone else does. The kingdom of God just takes a little more ground. A little more ground. It's this subtle growth. Jesus describes it like a mustard seed. Like, like, uh, like, like dough that's rising. How it rises slowly. That's what God is doing through his people, through his church. This is growing slowly. So church, we got to keep the plain thing the main thing. Let me say it again. we got to keep the plain thing the main thing, and that's the gospel of Jesus. That's what produces fruit in our lives. I mean, Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians 5, he says, he says uh, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So I don't know what you've walked in here with today, but if you embrace Jesus, you're a new creation. And the Scriptures say he casts our sins as far away as the east is from the West. So what's it producing in you today? I want to give you three, three words quickly to help you apply this this week, to, to, to take this home. So if you're a note taker, maybe write, write those down or take a picture of the screen or something. Question that you could ask is this, who has authority in my life? Who has authority in my life? Who is it that is dictating and driving the behavior that my life is producing? Because that is found and a singular focus in who I've let have authority in my life. If it's not Jesus, what would it look like for you to give Jesus that authority in your life? Second one is this. If I was completely secure in my relationship with Jesus, what would that feel like? What would be different about me if I was completely secure that Jesus loved me and that he wasn't going to hold my sin against me? Third one is this. Because the gospel is always growing, what are the evidences of gospel growth around me that go unnoticed? And what would it look like for me to celebrate those a little bit more? To be a little more confident in what God's done. Well, we're getting off with a bang here in Colossians 1. It's been exciting. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to turn to the Lord's table together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for, um, for your word. We thank you that, um, man, that it, that, it, that it pierces us. And that it changes us and it confronts us. And sometimes we feel a little exposed when we hear your word. Lord, I pray that your, your spirit would come and, and give us peace in our hearts. And give us power to live the types of lives that please your name. 
So, Father, I, I pray for my friends in here today that, that they would be encouraged by your word, that they would see that you have secured a hope for them that nothing in this world can take away. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.